Hello, welcome to another episode of Vig and Juice. I am Kevin. This is episode number five. With me, as always, are Blake and Radney. Blake, good morning. How are you? Good morning, Kevin. I'm well. How are you? Excellent. Doing great. Thank you, Radney. Radney's uh, dialing in today from Austin, so we're doing Rad's part remotely. We'll see how this goes. Rad, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are y'all doing? Doing good, man. Doing good up here in Dallas. All right, so today we're going to talk about PASPA. Now, PASPA has been in the news quite a bit over the last years, right? There's been some monumental uh, legislative changes with respect to the repeal of PASPA. I want to focus today's episode on the initial passing of PASPA, which was in 1992. And before we get into actually talking about that and the the bill, I want to go back to 1992. You guys know I like to quiz you when we start these podcasts. So what I've got here queued up are some some of the top songs of 1992. Mm-hmm. So we're just going to play a sample of these songs, and then Rad and Blake, you guys chime in and tell me the name of the song and who the artist is. You ready? All right, here we go. Here's the first one. <laughs> um, is this Pump Up the Jam? No. No, this is like... Is this I'm Too Sexy for My Shirt? Yes, oh. there you go. And what's his All right, name? Rad. Uh, what is what's the name, name of the artist? I remember this. Uh, no surprise that Rad gets I'm Too Sexy <laughs> by Right Said Fred. Right Said okay. Fred. Oh, yeah. Mind you, I was six. There is no <laughs> doubt in my mind. That's no excuse for not knowing classic hits, Blake. <laughs> yeah, That's no, there's no doubt in my mind that 12-year-old Rad was running around <laughs> ripping his shirt off <laughs> singing this song. Yeah, okay. I didn't have a shirt on to begin with. <laughs> okay. All right. Okay, let's go. Song number two. I think I know the song again, but I'm not. Kind of all start the same. Is it that Rhythm is a Dancer? Yes, <laughs> yeah. Rhythm is a Dancer. Very nice, Blakely. Uh, the name of the band here, anyone know? Snap. Okay, Snap. Now, I will admit, I was 15 at this point in time, so that was right at the inception of my musical awareness. So these, I mean, these songs are, you know, embedded in my head. Okay, let's go to song number three. One to one's the score. Oh, this is such a classic. Well, come on, Rad, you know it then? Taking too long. You guys are, are taking too words? long. Yes. yes. That's The Cure. The Cure Friday I'm in Love by The Cure. Shout out to my wife. That's one of her top songs, if not her favorite song of all time. You know, I wanted to say The Cure, but I thought, man, if I get that wrong and I say it and it's recorded, that's going to make me... <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm going to be incredibly disappointed if Rad doesn't get this one within one second of playing it. Let's go. <laughs> I mean, it's uh, Jump Around by... Uh, there you go. Naughty by Nature? Oh, no, House of Pain. Oh, House of Pain. House of Pain. Okay. House of Pain. There you go. All right. Guys, yeah. Okay, I think Rad's winning two to one right now. We got two left. Let's go. Here's here's number uh, five. Salt and Peppa. Mm-hmm. No? It is a all-female group. It's not Salt and Peppa. Oh, In no, Vogue. In Vogue, yeah. yes. In Vogue. Yes, and the name of the song is... Never Gonna Get It? No, My Lovin'. My Lovin'. I'm going to give Blake half a point there. So. No, I think she gets the whole thing there. All right, two to two. Thanks, Rad. Here, here comes the uh, here comes the tiebreaker. Two to two, you guys didn't get one. Here comes the last one. Crisscross and make you jump. There you go. <laughs> jump by Crisscross. All right. So Rad wins the 1992 Music Challenge. When we do 2002, I'll expect Blake to come in and dominate. <laughs> well done, Rad. <laughs> we had Crisscross Day uh, when I was in seventh grade, and everyone wore their pants backwards. It was great. Let's do that here at the law firm. Yeah. Let's try that. You know what? Let's tell the new people that we do this right? <laughs> and see who shows up. We'll make the law clerks do it. All right. 
Okay, guys, let's jump into PASPA. So PASPA, or the Professional and Amateur Sports Protection Act of 1992. This was passed in 1992 and was sponsored by Bill Bradley. So it's also referred to as the Bradley Act. And it's ironic that Bill Bradley, the former Nick uh, center and, and you know famous basketball player, that Bradley sponsored this bill because the state that had the most issues with it and then then spent basically eight years legislating it right from 2010 to 2018 was New Jersey, which was Bradley's home state. PASPA was passed in 1992 and it was meant to define the legal status of sports betting throughout the United States. As we discussed previously, you had the Wire Act, which criminalized using intrastate wires, intrastate meaning crossing state lines, to play sports bet. And then you had the Travel Act, which gave the, um, gave the Attorney General's office or law enforcement agencies the ability to basically go out and prosecute the Wire Act. But still, there were means of sports betting that were slipping through the cracks, and then there was nothing really defining sports betting at the state level. So PASPA gets passed in 1992 and then basically kill sports betting nationwide with a few exemptions. So, you know, Blake, Rad, you guys want to jump in here. What are your thoughts about the circumstances surrounding the legislation of PASPA? It was an interesting time period, right? Because you had, you know, the 60s were essentially the time of the Wire Act and the Travel Act and kind of the anti-mafia laws that were being passed in order to really crack down on gambling as, as a way of the mafia making money. But during that whole time period, you know, we've, we've talked in previous podcasts about kind of the history of, of gambling and how it ebbs and flows. But during that time period from the 60s, 70s, 80s, there, there kind of was already a liberalization you know, an acceptance of, of gambling, you know, the rise of Atlantic City itself uh, coming in the 70s as, as something for New Jersey to find a way to make, you know, more money. You know, the rise of state lotteries were going on in the 70s as well, including New Jersey and many other states. So you already had this thing that we've spoken about where states are trying to find way to put money in their coffers, which we're seeing again today. So it's really not just like a direct you know, openness or closing around gambling. It's, it's always kind of a back and forth. And so what I think you see at this time period is this general opening up that kind of culminates in 88 with the, uh, the Indian Gaming Regulatory Act, which allowed for casinos to open up on Native American land throughout the country. And that really, you know, changed the landscape and you saw even greater gambling. And so I think there was this immediate kind of reversal and, and obviously with those exemptions, but there was this immediate concern that this is getting out of hand. We need to find a way to stop it and let's do it in a way that maybe necessarily isn't the traditional way we've been doing, which is criminal. Let's find a civil path for the Department of Justice and the and, and let's grant the sports leagues themselves this authority to kind of self-regulate. Right. I love that you brought in the morality because I want to talk about the influences of gambling on the country or the country on gambling. You know, we talked ad nauseum in the last two podcasts about the mob and how the Wire Act and Travel Act were really direct responses to the mob. Well, I don't think in the early 90s when I was jamming out to Jump Around and En Vogue and, you know, Snap Rhythm as a Dancer, I don't remember the mob being a big deal in the 90s, in the early 90s. But like you said, Rad, the Indian Gaming Act had been passed in 88. And so you had this situation where you had a number of states who were doing things one way, a number of states who were trying to do it, but they weren't really clear on what they could or couldn't do. So the United States government used the the Commerce Clause, right, to go in and pass PASPA in 92, which was supposed to effectively legislate this nationwide, except for all these carve-outs. So it was, it was the country, you know, the government's come out and saying – 
states you can't do this except for a handful of states that can't, right? Oregon, Delaware, and Montana had sports lotteries that were exempt. And then you had Nevada was exempt. And then you had, there was actually a number of even smaller sports cards or betting cards or parlays in other states that were still exempt or lotteries. So even though PASPA was passed, it wasn't really a nationwide ban. It was basically a ban on if you haven't done this before, now you can't do it, which well, I, I think- I believe everyone had a chance to. That's correct. They had a chance to, right? Well, well within a year, within a year, you had to have made some um, efforts within a year to pass it uh, within your state, but only if you had met certain prongs prior, right? So I wouldn't say everyone had a chance, but people had a chance to be grandfathered in, yes. And New Jersey definitely blew that. And I'm not sure why New Jersey blew that. I know in all the research I did, everyone mentioned that New Jersey failed to do this. But I think PASPA was flawed from that perspective from the- Maybe it was this Bill Bradley character. Yeah, maybe it was Bradley, was it didn't allow <laughs> Jersey to do it. But I think PASPA was flawed in that respect in that it wasn't applied evenly because the states weren't all on even ground when PASPA was was passed. So as a result, you get left with states who are you know in a more advantageous position than the other states. And then it just really it took until last year, which we'll talk about in the next podcast. It took until last year for the rest enough of the states to say, hey, this isn't fair, right? Jersey started in 2010 or 2011. They started fighting this. Say, hey, this isn't fair. We should be able to make our own decisions as well. Um, you know, I want to talk about, guys, when I was doing the research here, it talked about these sports cards or these betting cards that were legal uh, in some states. Do you guys remember these things? Do you guys know what that is? Nope. When I was, when I was a, a little kid, I remember from age 10 to probably 18 through high school, Every week in the Fort Worth Star-Telegram, because I grew up in Arlington, and so the Fort Worth Star-Telegram was the paper we got, every week during the football season, there was a, a piece of paper in, in the sports page. There was a half-page ad, not ad, a half-page contest where you could send in a dollar, and you could pick 5, 10, or 20 games against the spread, and then you could send those into the paper, and then they would pay you odds on that. Now, the odds that they would pay out were never as good as the odds of people paying in, right? So if 20 people paid in, they're only paying out 15 bucks, right? So it wasn't quite paramutual, or maybe they're, they're just calling that their VIG. But I never thought about this until I was researching this, and how was that even legal? And I don't know if Texas had an exemption, if the Fort Worth Star-Telegram was just doing it. If, I would assume that newspapers across the country were doing this, but there I was, you know, 13-year-old me picking games with my dad against the spread, sending in a buck, and I never won. But I remember a buddy of mine won 1000 bucks one time. He got 10 out of 10 games right, mm. something like that. <laughs> So, had you, Rad, did you ever see anything like that growing up? I don't remember it. No, I don't know if New York had it or not. But I don't, so I don't that's know. what those betting cards are, right? They're basically a, just a you know a, a multi-team parlay, you know, something that that Blake seems to have a penchant for dominating <laughs> these days. So, anyways, those things were grandfathered in, which doesn't really seem fair uh, for past. And then other states, you know, you can't start anything new. And then, as we know, there's other reasons around sports gambling, right? You got the lottery issues, which is uh, you know, you're trying to raise money. What do you do with the with the proceeds? Right? Can the states use those proceeds for education or for infrastructure or whatnot? And then also you have the integrity issues. I think a lot of the testimony I saw in favor of PASPA in the early 90s was from league commissioners, league sources who were saying that, you know, sports gambling is ill affecting their sports. One of the interesting parts about PASPA, if you look at the law, the law is not that long. It's only a couple of lines long. But in 
Section 3703 of PASPA, it gives the courts the ability to enjoin any sort of, you know, illegal gambling activity. So, Rad, why don't you jump in here? PASPA wasn't really a criminal statute, right? Yeah, not at all. It was interesting. They went in a completely different direction than it seemingly they had been doing over the decades, right? You know, what we'll talk about in our next podcast in the repeal, it kind of had some cascading effects how they decided to do this, right? There's, there's no doubt that the federal government can regulate individuals and pass laws, criminal laws. You know, they did it with the Wire Act. They did it with the Travel Act. But in this particular instance, they decided to create a civil statute that was meant to provide a private right of action specifically for the sports leagues and the Department of Justice if it wanted to get involved. But it gives these private actors the ability to go to court and not through any criminal means or put anyone in jail, but go to court and ask the court to stop a state specifically from authorizing sports gambling. After the passing of PASPA, if New York or Vermont or Florida had gone in and said, hey, I want to you know, create a sports gambling statute that's going to allow casinos or private entities to do this, the NBA could literally go into a court and say, look, it, they're violating this. I have the right granted to me under this statute as a private entity to stop this from happening and you get the court to to enjoin it. So it's a unique structure, one that didn't really have the, I guess, historical context that the criminal statutes they've been passing that have been accepted uh, had. And so, you know, I think that's kind of the reason that we're here today talking about it and, and, and why it's, you know, had such cascading effects when it was eventually overturned. So guys, I've got two questions for you. The first is about the leagues. Why do we think the leagues cared and still care so much. I'd like to know, you know, what do you think their rationale is in 92 for, you know, Tagliabue, who was the NFL commissioner at the time, got up and spoke in front of the, uh, I think, in front of Congress. But the NBA commissioner had got, gotten up and had spoken as well. So why do the leagues care then and what, why do we think they care now? Then I think the main rationale was keeping the integrity of the game and making sure that players or coaches weren't throwing games or you know changing their performance because they had big bets out. After the law went into effect, the years after that, we saw a lot of online sports betting companies pop up and billions and billions of dollars being spent overseas. And so I think that part of the rationale behind the sports teams now is looking at it and saying, hey, this is going on. We could probably regulate it a little better if you know we have it at home and it's up to the leagues themselves to set rules and punish and kind of keep the rules internal rather than having it be a federal law. You know, Blake, I agree with you 100% there. I do think that the reason back then was integrity and we didn't have the internet in 1992 and we didn't have cameras on every single player and we didn't have people from all over the country. I mean, if you remember in 1992, if you wanted to get information on your sports team, you had to live in that region and you had to hope your your local sports carrier carried it. Otherwise, you might see your favorite team a couple times a season on some nationally broadcast game. So I do buy the integrity argument from back then and then I'm with you 100%, Blake. I don't buy the integrity argument right now because I think there's enough watchdogs, right? You can create AI to go and see you know, I was listening to a gambling podcast, and the uh, the the sports book was talking about how they run all these all this analysis on the bets coming. If they get a huge bet on the second quarter of a random soccer game, then they immediately flag that bet. Right? There's something wrong there. That thing might be fixed. And so I think there's ways of dealing with that now. And I believe that today it's a hundred percent about money. Mm-hmm. Here's my second question. 
What's highlight? And why is highlight always exempt from everything? Where's this massive highlight lobby that is keeping it out of PASPA regulation and they can just place their bets all the time? I'm serious about this. I mean, I've, I can't figure it out. I think I've maybe have come across a highlight match once or twice. I don't even know where it's a predominant sport. I think it's over in maybe the cricket countries or maybe some of the rugby countries or something like that. You guys got any thoughts on highlight? I'm not I even mean, sure what highlight is. It's like it has like this. It's a weird. I don't even know what you would call it. It's like a curved uh, device. A wicket or something or a yeah a racket around. yeah. I, I I don't know. I don't. I, I think highlight bets are all paramutual, right? Which is which is the same as horse racing. Which uh, you know in paramutual, it's the odds are based on how many people are betting on that. Which is funny because that's something that you know you can't even do in sports or I'm sorry in DFS, DFS now you because can't even do that in DFS the odds aren't known. Right? It's solely chance. Like when you're racing horses, that is solely chance. When you have teams that you're looking at, you know who's good and right. you can study it. Well, uh, I think. Horse racing aficionados will tell you that yeah, but you can study the horse's past history and stuff. Yeah, so I don't know why High Line and, and horse racing get a pass. Maybe, um, like I said, they have great lobbyists, lobbies behind them. Maybe people are just okay with paramutual. And in, in our line of work, it's interesting because we've had some potential clients reach out to us and say, hey, we've got this idea, and it's more of a paramutual idea, right? Can I do this? And it's hard right now because even though PASPA has been repealed and sports betting is available in a number of states, it's still not available in every state. And then every state's legislating it just a little bit differently. Or what really what we end up telling our clients is it's just so expensive to go and apply for the licensing or to deal with the um, the taxes, right? The annual revenue shares or the uh, integrity taxes and stuff like that. So it's still a, a tough time for that. But you know, PASPA was monumental in terms of just coming out and saying, okay, look, no more sports betting, period. We're going to grandfather in Oregon, Montana, you know, uh, Delaware, and then Nevada. And then I had read somewhere there was 12 other states that had these sports cards or sports pools. And, you know, the office pools were still a thing back then, and no one really wanted to, to regulate those. But from 1992 until 2018, there really wasn't any legal sports betting. And I do buy the integrity argument in 1992. And then the only argument I'm buying now is money. I just think there's too much being spent underground or overseas. Totally. And I think one of the things you have to remember in 1992, when we're talking about the integrity of the game, is this is, what, three years after the Pete Rose scandal broke? Like, I think it's 89, 90. Yeah. You have one of the, the greatest baseball hitter of all time and existing manager getting caught betting on possibly his own games. You had point-shaving scandals in in the college ranks throughout the 70s and 80s. So there is this this element, you know, to your point earlier, Kevin, where sports was maybe a little bit more provincial. There wasn't as much information around it. There weren't as many cameras. There were all these potential scandals. And, you know, I think, you know, David Stern was the commissioner at the time in the NBA. And I think the Bulls had just won their third championship or close to it. It's come out years later how much Michael Jordan was gambling, but I'm sure those higher ups kind of had an idea of what he was doing in the casino, and and that could have possibly even played a role. And hey, we need to get things under control. We want to get, in, and we don't want to get involved because we're not the ones that have the expertise. But these sports leagues, they have the money, they have the time, they're the ones that have a vested interest in it. Let's 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 hand it off to them. And this seems like a great idea because then 
we're not creating a criminal structure here and we're not getting involved. We can have the sports leagues with all of their money be the enforcers so we're not spending taxpayers' dollars on this, right? So I think they thought it was just a brilliant idea to find a way to stem the flow of, of illicit gambling as, as they saw it and the, and the evils around it in terms of the integrity of the game, the, especially with the amateur level stuff where these kids aren't getting paid and are probably more likely to you know, take some money in order to shave a few points off a W. Yeah, I think you make a really good point about the league's self-interest. You know, the Michael Jordan thing, right, is a real self-interest thing. And I, the Bulls won in 91, 92, 93, because I think the Rockets won in 94, 95 when Jordan was, you know, playing double-A baseball. And I, I, I do believe that he was gambling like crazy, and there's no way in my mind that he was not taking bets on his own team or on himself. And I wouldn't be surprised to learn one bit to learn the NBA knew about this, but they... Uh, of course, they couldn't come out and say it because they were afraid it would, you know, kill their superstar, or kill their, you know, kill the league, or, or be very harmful to their superstar to the league. So another way around this was getting out, being very vocal, and, and basically you're enlisting law enforcement nationwide, right, to help prevent Michael Jordan and, and other people from gambling. So I think that's a really interesting point, you know, a point well made. So let's wrap this up. That's PASPA. There'll be a lot more to talk about in our next episode because PASPA has been repealed. And then we can get in and talk a little bit about, guys, we'll see if we can do it over one or two episodes. Um, let's talk about what that repeal has meant, what the landscape looks like right now or what's coming. And then maybe we can get in and start debating the merits of some of the new sports betting legislation or the, or the rules of the road for sports betting. Because I want to make it clear, we got to separate what casinos are doing from what everyone else is allowed to do because those are two very different things. And, you know, maybe it's fair, maybe it's not fair, and we can talk about that more. So I want to wrap up this episode five of Vegan Juice. This has been Kevin, Blake, and Rad. We appreciate you listening in, and hopefully you'll tune into our next one. Please check out all of our podcasts are available on Apple Podcasts. Check them out on our website, www.vailawoodlaw.com. You can just click on podcasts and see the rest of them. Thanks for listening. Talk to you soon. The Veilowood podcasts are recorded in our Dallas office in Mockingbird Station. You can find all of our podcasts, including Office Hours, Three Things, Silicon Valley Review, and Vegan Juice on Apple Podcasts. For questions, comments, or suggestions, email us at podcasts at